Hey there, beautiful people. Welcome to Novel Takes, the podcast where we lift the veil on business as usual. Join us for our novel takes on business, culture, and the art of getting things done. I'm partner and principal, Rachel Gansboriskin. And I'm founder and principal, Sarah Patrick. It's time for a new novel take. This fall, we're focusing on the shifting nature of work. In our last episode, we spoke to three young professionals who talked about their career paths, their approaches to work and values, and how they see work fitting into their lives both now and in the future. If you missed it, you should check it out. On today's episode, we'll continue the conversation as our guests discuss the way the pandemic affected their careers, their thoughts on capitalism, and how they see their generation shaping the future of work. I'll let our guests introduce themselves. My name is Nate Hillier. My name is Kelsey Klesik. My name is Shen Gao. Nate is an assistant account executive at the Castle Group, working in PR. Kelsey works as a financial aid counselor at Northeastern University and is a part-time student in the Master's of Professional Studies in Digital Media at Northeastern. And Shen, having worked in the tech industry, is currently taking a career break, focusing on her mental and physical health and taking care of her home and pet corgi. We recorded the interview separately and have brought our guests into virtual conversation with each other. While everyone in the world has been affected by COVID, Nate, Kelsey, and Shen are part of a population cohort whose early careers were defined by the pandemic. Nate, the youngest of our guests, graduated college in 2021. He spent his last year and a half of college navigating remote learning and then entered the workforce that itself was still at least partially remote. It was a really strange time to start a career. You know, I didn't necessarily get to meet all of my coworkers for a very long time. A lot of it was remote. Still, like many of us, Nate adjusted and sees benefits to the way the pandemic changed the structure of work. I think that we've, as a whole, become a little more accustomed to that. And I think being able to adapt around that and knowing if you don't have to have a meeting about something, you don't necessarily, like it could be an email. You don't necessarily have to go into the office five days a week. That's something that I think is important to people right now. I know I'm really grateful. I have a hybrid schedule, so I get to go into the office two days a week, and then I work from home three days a week. And it's nice to have that balance of not entirely isolated throughout the week, but then it's also not dealing with the Boston commute five days a week. I think there really is a happy medium for everybody. It depends on, of course, the industry, the person, the employer. But yeah, I think that's something that I really valued. It's having hybrid flexibility. Like Nate, Shen's career was shaped by COVID. I think I got my real like first full-time job with benefits in February 2020. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, okay, time to go home. So I think because of the pandemic, a lot of people are affected and remote work is so common now, especially in the tech industry. So when I think about flexibility, I kind of think, can I just stay home and do my work? Or is there, can I do like a balance of both where I work from home or go into the office? and kind of divide that time where I see fit. So I think in that sense, definitely the location of work, it's something that I have thought about. If I have a doctor's appointment or if I you know, need to leave work early for some reason, I would like that you know, a company that I work for would allow me to pick my own hours in a way, kind of where if I get the work done, what's expected of me and I'm doing well, then I can work whenever. So I think that would be ideal. And so, yeah, that's kind of how my partner is too. Sometimes he wakes up at like 
11 a.m. And, you know, he'll get on with his day and do what he needs to do. And he does really well. So I think for me, that would be ideal as well. While Nate and Shen note the ways COVID changed the structures, location, and routines of work for the better, Kelsey, who graduated college in May of 2019, sees the negative impact the pandemic had on young professionals' self-confidence. A lot of young professionals struggle with imposter syndrome, and that's our biggest, not our biggest issue, but I think a lot of us have a lot more power than we think we have and a lot more knowledge and experience and just a lot more potential than we think that we have. I think that a lot of us feel very stunted, like we are not doing what we should be. We don't have enough jobs under our belt. We don't have enough years. We don't have enough experience. Still, Kelsey thinks it's important for young people to remember that they do have other skills. We have all the experience. It's not like we haven't been working. A lot of people have found experience in other things that aren't necessarily just jobs because the pandemic has been so upturning that they find experience in applying for jobs. That That's experience in of itself with the way that the world works and just learning on their own when they weren't in a position. So many people took time to learn other skills. In some ways, Kelsey is suggesting that young professionals can take the experience of COVID to shift their outlook a little to identify and value skills they have from outside of the work realm. Shen also experienced the shift in her perspective due to the pandemic. I think just the pandemic itself, I was just thinking earlier, I feel like it really changed me in a sense that it taught me to value like what's important. My health is important. Spending my time with my family is important. Being able to have time off to visit my parents and my siblings in China is important. And I feel like I didn't place that much importance or as much importance on these things prior to the pandemic. But then the pandemic really made me feel like, well, you know, there's this virus circulating that could wipe me out at any point. So why would I pay so much attention to the grind, to like working so hard, to all these things that will not make me happy at the end of the day. So I think that's that's where I'm at mentally as well. While the pandemic certainly made many people reevaluate their priorities, for young people, there was already a great deal of questioning. Early experiences of watching their families cope with the 2008 recession combined with apocalyptic climate change headlines and a divisive political environment had shaped young people's perspectives long before COVID-19 brought the world to a standstill. When Kelsey graduated college, she was risk averse. Something that I factored in very heavily, especially with the job market being so turbulent as it was in 2019 and has continued to be throughout the last few years. It was really scary as a new grad to not have a set creative prospect, even though that's, you know, what I would have wished. It seems safer to choose this option where I knew I had something going on than to put myself out there. I wasn't necessarily in a position where I could have taken on a more creative role, something that was more fitting to the work I had been doing. But, you know, I was definitely in a place financially where I wanted to make sure that I was making smart decisions. I still think what had happened if I had jumped into the creative industry like some of my peers and they a lot of them took a lot longer to find positions 
in the creative industry. A lot of them took a lot longer to find positions that they were able to stick in. A lot of them went through layoffs because of just the turbulence of everything because they were in a creative industry. And unfortunately, creative industries, while they're necessary, are sometimes the first to go. It is a little bit scarier. So I think that knowing myself and knowing how I like to think things through long term and make sure I'm making the right decision financially supporting myself. I think that I definitely made the best decision long term to line myself up. I am still working towards those goals of being in the creative industry and I'm still doing side projects and still testing all those creative muscles. But right now I'm in a place where I'm supported financially while I'm establishing those goals and making a more stable bridge to walk over instead of skipping and hopping over the stones in the river. Nate witnessed something similar. I think trying to balance where your passion is, what you're good at, and what will pay the bills is something that I know a lot of people struggle with, a lot of people my age are struggling with. And I honestly do see a lot of my colleagues just doing the first thing that comes along to them. It's not necessarily what they love to do. It's just you have to take what you can get. And it's tough. It's tough out there right now. Grocery prices are higher than they've been in a long time. SNAP benefits just ended. Rent keeps increasing. It's tough. While earlier generations might have been looking for jobs in which they could stay for decades, Shen, like many her age, is more transactional. She wants a job that provides financial security. I feel like I don't see myself as the kind of person who stays at a job for like, I don't know, like more than three years, let's say. One, because I, I feel like there's always, for me, maybe it's based on my experience of where I feel like after a couple of years, I realize I want to do something different. So then I leave and I go try something else. So I guess I'm not like super concerned with job security. But maybe to an extent of like, you know, there are smaller companies that maybe just got funding and maybe there's like 10 people, you know, working there might not be as secure as working at a startup of, let's say, 300 people. So for me, I would probably gravitate to like places that are like more secure and not extremely risky in that sense. But obviously, I want to work somewhere where you're not going to get randomly fired as well. So I think there's a fine line to walk there, too, especially right now in the tech industry. There's been just recently a lot of like layoffs and things like that, where people are kind of like, oh, you know, I got laid off for no reason. I didn't know this was happening. I would not want that to happen to me. And I think that's kind of part of the reason where I want to start my own business and do something by myself where I'm not tied to anybody else. Our guests were thoughtful about the state of the world, and one word kept popping up again and again. Capitalism. 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 And not in a good way. And even when we didn't hear the word, the critique was loud and clear. I think younger people in particular are right now looking at the state of work and the state of how everybody's feeling right now. And there, there are questions in terms of how can we prioritize being people throughout the week and also advancing your career and, and getting everything you need to done. These are things worth questioning. Kelsey sees her generation as saddled with the negative consequences of a capitalist system. It's like when we talk about being handed over a big problem. It's like that. We're waiting and waiting and we're working and we're working and we're working and we know that one day 
we're going to be handed down the capitalism problem and we're going to have to figure out, okay, how are we going to dismantle things? Are we going to dismantle things? Hopefully we don't double it and pass it to the next. I don't think that's our goal. While Kelsey feels strongly that things need to change, she understands that these conversations are challenging and at times frightening for older workers. For people who have been in capitalism longer, who have been in the working industry longer, they're playing into a different system than people who are just getting into the working world. We've seen a lot of social shift, a lot of career shift, a lot of industry shift and capitalism shift. We've seen a lot of people be very angry about how capitalism treats its workers. We've seen a lot of changes in the younger generations that aren't as much in different generations. And so that's important to see as well, that I think a lot of it is just people who have been in industry for so long that they can see that things are changing. But for them, that's scary because that means a change from everything that they've ever known. It's just a very big, scary change because we are also changing over the amount of people in the workforce from different generations. It's a multifaceted (laughs) topic for sure. And I think it definitely warrants more discussion. Shen is taking time off from work right now, and it has given her time to think about the way society works. Still, she's aware that her ability to have this time is itself a luxury most people don't have. My partner, he's supporting both of us right now, which I feel really, really lucky because, you know, if I was living by myself or, you know, if I really had to bring a consistent income, I wouldn't be trying to do the business right now. I wouldn't be taking a career break right now. I'd probably be at some other job that I don't fully love just to cover the bills. So I feel really, really lucky in that regard, but I also feel like it doesn't have to be this way. So I, in that sense, I kind of think about we're kind of like shackled to the capitalism a little bit. For Nate, many of the norms of work in capitalism are themselves problematic and exclusionary. I think, honestly, something I, I did struggle with is I thought I had to turn queerness off when I entered a workplace. I, I think I associated it with being unprofessional, and that's not what that is. I and mean, I think that kind of an issue with a lot of professionalism is it hinders people. It's a lot of times very inequitable. I'm still trying to navigate being a queer person in a professional space. Sometimes it's hard to feel like you belong there. It's tough. I don't feel like I have a full fleshed out idea of what the right way to be a queer office worker is, but it's something I'm still trying to figure out. Nate sees professionalism, at least how it's often defined, at odds with authenticity. I think when I entered the workforce, I had this idea that I had to be this kind of drone. I couldn't really show up as a person so much as a worker. And I learned very quickly that's not really how it works. And actually everybody benefits when you show up as your authentic self. But it's something I flattered with at first. And I think that that's something that that was really important to me, authenticity. And I think, especially in a field like communications, you want people who communicate like you to some degree and who you can be your authentic self around. I I don't think people want to show up to work and just shut off who they are. Nate also sees authenticity as linked to diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI. I think that's why in my job search, really finding authenticity in those little website blurbs about diversity, equity, inclusion was this 
written in 20 minutes or was it really given thought and was it written by somebody who really cares about these things and will the workplace really reflect what's in here? I brought up our equity statement, I think three times throughout the interview process. It was like, it, this, it just really stood out to me and it made me feel like I was entering a place that isn't what I had pictured for the traditional office, the traditional professional workspace. And I really appreciated that. I, I think it's, I'm really lucky at Castle to work with a lot of different kinds of people who also value that diversity and value beyond diversity inclusion. Cause I think diversity without inclusion in the workplace, it means very little. I think having people represented without fully having them feel heard is something I've seen from a lot of people my age, a lot of people in my generation. And I think an increasing need is that you need somewhere that values all three parts in the D, E, and I. Nate is part of a generational movement that is changing the culture of work. Kelsey also sees their generation as fighting for fair systems of compensation. In some of my first positions, I didn't recognize, you know, what it was like to be taken advantage of, what it was like to be taking on so much work and not necessarily being compensated appropriately because I didn't know what it looked like to be compensated appropriately. But now we're all having these discussions with each other and saying, oh, wait, you make X amount of money working in a similar industry? I'm only making Y. You know, why is that the case? I'm doing X, Y, and Z more than you are in your job description. Why the hell is that happening? And it's the support on the other side of them saying, no, you're so right. That shouldn't be happening. That's not fair. You should take all this information that I've given you and try and use it to leverage yourself a better deal. And now that's what a lot of people are doing and companies aren't happy with it because they consistently were able to pay younger workers less and compensate them less because we just didn't know. We didn't know what it felt like to be compensated appropriately. So they just banked on the fact that we would just take whatever we could get and not ask questions and not talk to other people and not see, wait a second, you're being shortchanged too? This isn't cool. Not to mention that with the increase in technology in the workplace, there is that shift generationally where some people who have been in the workplace for years and years aren't recognizing how to utilize the new technology when it shifts in. So that's extra weight on our shoulders and extra responsibility for the younger generations that companies aren't necessarily seeing either. Kelsey notes that the exploitation of people's labor sometimes starts before they're even hired. This means the demand for appropriate compensation starts in the job hunting process. Luckily now, we're seeing so many more people in my age range who aren't settling for lesser compensation. Being able to say, okay, I'm looking for a job. I'm not even going to consider any postings that don't talk about salary. That's the first step of saying, screw these jobs that aren't going to even tell us how much they're going to compensate us for our work. We deserve to be paid appropriately for our work. If you're not even going to bother to tell me how much you can provide to me, 
why am I going to bust my ass to get you a new resume, a new cover letter, an updated application in your application server, all these hoops that you want me to jump through only for you to tell me that you're not going to compensate me enough after a five round interview. People are getting tired. We're just done with it. With the fluctuations in the job market, people don't want to guess if they're going to be able to provide for their daily wants and needs. And companies aren't happy with that, but people are very steadfast on this. I'm not going to I'm not going to work for a company that I don't know if they're going to compensate me. I'm not going to do all this for you if I don't have the promise that you're going to support me in the end. For those in Kelsey's generation who are taking a stand for a better system, there's also an awareness of the way the relationship between employers and employees has changed in the last 50 years. Other generations, they had a promise that if you worked for a company for a certain period of time, you were going to get a pension, you know, that the company was going to support you back. We don't have that promise anymore. We don't have a promise really of anything other than what's in our contract. And even then, companies try and skimp out on that half the time. People are being a lot more cognizant of how much a buck actually costs in today's economy and how much they deserve for their work. People are starting to recognize that to live outside of just working, you need to be paid appropriately and you need to be compensated. To really have that opportunity and that space for self-care, you need the compensation too. It's all really attached to each other in a direct way, you know, where companies want to keep us working and working and don't want to pay us enough. So it's fighting back against that and just trying to like consistently stand on that soapbox and not waver on that and support other people who are doing that too. As Nate and Kelsey seek to reform work, Shen is ready to take it a step further. I feel like more and more people are trying to find happiness as well and not focusing so much on, you know, what they can produce or what kind of job they can have or like what corporate ladder they can climb next. So I think there's a trend of moving towards well-being and moving towards like participating less in the hustle culture. I feel like I would love for universal basic income to be a thing because like, why are we born to work? Right. Like that's something I've been thinking about. Like, why do we have to work? If you want to work, I think that's great. You know, you found something you love. You want to work. That's great. But if you don't want to work, why do you got to go find a job that you hate just so you can pay the bills? And also for folks who are maybe more creative, like artists, I think it's hard to turn, earn money being an artist or being like a small business owner where if you didn't have to worry about money as much, maybe you could be more creative and you, maybe you could try different things and maybe you could just be, I don't know, more of a human just enjoying life on this earth. As we listen to our guests speak, I couldn't help but think about the early days of my own career. While I certainly had some of the same concerns and frustrations, it never occurred to me that it was possible to radically change the culture of work let alone the organizing principles of capitalism. Whatever complaints I had, I bought into what those in charge were telling me. It may be unfair, but that's the way it is. I understood my job to be suck it up and adapt. And I think this is what makes this generation both inspiring and scary for older workers. 
We agree with a lot of what they have to say, but we have trouble even imagining how the world they want could function, not to mention where we fit in that view. Sarah, I wonder for you as a millennial how this conversation resonated. I find this conversation wildly inspiring. These sentiments feel familiar to me, as does the frustration with some of the systems and structures that these young people are finding as they enter the workforce. I think a notable difference is that these conversations are ones I remember having over drinks or at dinner with friends and others of my generation, not in the workplace. There was still an overwhelming sense that in the workplace, you worked hard and got along, particularly as a new recruit. I'm surprised and excited that this generation seems both more vocal and more prepared to affect change. And I hope that millennials, more familiar and comfortable with these ideas, will help instead of hinder any potential change as they move into positions of authority themselves. The future is, as always, uncertain, and uncertainty can often make us afraid. Still, we hope that you, our listeners, having heard the thoughtful voices of Nate, Kelsey, and Shen, will have a little less fear knowing that the future is in such good hands. We want to thank Nate Hillier, Kelsey Klazik, and Shen Gao, who are generous with their time and insights. To learn more about them, you can check out their full bios on our website, thinknovel.com. If this conversation has piqued your interest and you want to hear more about what we have to say, stay tuned for other episodes. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, Please rate and review us. Give us some love. And if you're curious about what we do over at Novel or think we could help you or your organization, check us out or send us an inquiry over at thinknovel.com. That's T-H-I-N-K-N-O-V-L.com. That's it for us. Shout out to everyone who helped us make this show. This is Novel Takes. Novel Takes.